Welcome to another edition of NBA Sound System. It is again the big four in the house. Carl and Gay alongside Scott Rafferty. Scott, what up, my man? I am doing well. How are you doing, Colin? Can't complain. Micah Adams is also in the house. Micah, what's up? Hey, if we if we're the big four, what team from the nineties are we? The Washington Bullets. Ooh, that's rough. It's a rough big four. Uh, And we also have Alex Novik in the house. Alex, what's up, man? What's up, Carlin? Excited to uh, talk some 90s again. Couldn't get enough last week talking to 98 Bulls, so uh, let's get after it. Yeah, we we are in complete 90s mode over on NBA.com, CA.NBA.com. You can go over and read the top 15 players of the 1990s. That entire decade, we as a team, as an NBA global unit, voted on who should be the top 15 players from that decade. And that's what we're going to break down on this very podcast. Uh, I don't think anyone has agreed on the top 15 that actually made it to the site. We each, Alex, Micah, and myself, each have three separate lists. Some of it we agree on, but we don't agree on all of it. And that's what we'll break down here. Our man, Scott Rafferty, who is the youngin' of the group, the rookie, the sophomore, whatever you want to call him. Uh, he's going to provide some uh, interesting questions throughout the podcast, pick our brains, and uh, try to call us out in some points as a, as a point man here. I will try to. Throwing a grenade on our, our takes. I, I will try to. It took me about, we, we uh, a month ago, we did the best players in the NBA right now, and it took me about three days to put together my list for that. And these are the players that wow. I'm comfortable with. So uh, going back <laughs> 90s, I just, I had no, I had no idea how to go about this. So yeah, I sat this one out, but I'm going to bring some, uh, some questions to you guys. You bring up a good point, because in fairness, I think we, I think the three of us did it in a vacuum, probably took us probably 20 minutes, right, max, to put this list together. And I'm already doubt, I'm already walking back some of my takes that I have on my top 15 list that you guys are probably going to come at me about. So I don't know about you guys, but it was a little harder than I thought it would be. No, I agree. I look after I I sort of uh, took everyone's top fifteen list. We had nine people total that did it, and after we put them together, uh, you know, took out the average rankings and then you know, write no quick blurbs about them. I found myself after actually doing all the research after I had submitted my top fifteen, I would have had an entirely different list. So, you know, it is what it is. And hey, Micah, you should point out those nine people from seven different countries, right? Yeah, seven. This is pretty impressive. Uh, Pretty impressive global viewpoint there on the 90s. So we've talked about the list. Let's get to the list itself. The top 15 players of the 1990s. Again, you could go over to ca.ma.com and read it in full. Number one, no question about it, Mr. Michael Jeffrey Jordan tops the list. I think everybody would delete the podcast, unsubscribe, and send bad reviews if we didn't have Michael at number one. So no-brainer there. Number two, Hakeem Olajuwon, the dream. Number three, Carl Malone. Number four, David Robinson. In some order, that was the top four for pretty much everybody uh, that participated in this list. Let's start there before we get to the to the bottom half. The top four of Michael Jordan, Hakeem Olajuwon, Carl Malone. That's the order that made the site. Alex, do you agree with that order, uh, or do you have a different version? I think I definitely agree with the top four, Jordan and Hakeem. Uh, are no brainers. I mean, Hakeem probably is even if even though we ranked him number two, is probably still one of the more underrated players in NBA history. The guy carried his those Rockets to two finals, two championships, and averaged thirty three, twelve, and six in one of those championships. So that's that's an easy one too. Um, then you get to Malone and Robinson, and I think 
that there's a legitimate debate between those two guys. I know Carlin and Micah, you guys have differing point of views. I personally had Malone higher just because he made, uh, he kind of carried that Jazz team with Stockton in the two finals. But um, I mean, Robinson was an absolute monster and won a won a title uh, with he needed Tim Duncan to do it. But there's there's very compelling cases for both those guys. So I'll uh, I'll turn it over to you guys to kind of debate that out because I know you were at odds. I actually. I actually agree with you in terms of Malone being ahead of Robinson on my list, but Micah disagreed. So, Micah, why did you have Robinson three and Malone four? I think so. It's you. You start looking at Carl Malone's resume, right? And this guy made first team All NBA every single year of the '90s, right? Like, it's it's absolutely remarkable uh, the regular season resume that that guy uh, was able to put together. I for me I look at David Robinson's peak and I think he's a guy whose peak is vastly undersold. Like he's a guy who was uh defensive player of the year and then 2 years later is scoring 71 just because he can on the last day of the regular season in order to win the scoring title. Like he had a quadruple double. I think everybody looks at what the Spurs were able to accomplish after drafting Tim Duncan and you you all of a sudden kind of just default to I think of the Spurs, I think of Tim Duncan. But before Duncan ever came along, like recognizing that David Robinson at his peak, I think his peak is better than Carl Malone's peak, even though I think Carl Malone was probably better over a longer period of time. So I'm one, I, I think when I look at it like this, and we'll get into some of uh, this comes up again uh, later on in our rankings when when we'll, we'll disagree, I tend to sort of lean more towards the higher peak, even if it tends to be a little bit shorter. That's kind of where I'm at with David Robinson. I do have to mention that there really was no criteria for the way we rank this. Like we all have pretty much different ideas of what our top 15 is. Like some some of the nine people that participated in it could have skewed more towards numbers. Some of them could have skewed more towards accomplishments. Some of them could have skewed more towards championships. We have no idea of what the actual criteria was. So we it's it's fascinating that we were able to put together a list of top 15 without giving any criteria and come as close as we did as a as a consensus, give or take. Uh, but I, I agree with you in terms of David Robinson's kind of peak may have been higher or arguably higher than Carmelo Malone, but I went Carmelo Malone three for two reasons. One, two MVPs in the decade, plus the All-NBAs across the decade. Anytime you can say that you were definitively the best player at a single position for an entire decade, I have to, I have to put that ahead of, of David Robinson, who was a great center, but... He wasn't the best center of the entire decade for the, for the, the full ten years or the full ten seasons that but we I, talked about. So hold on, I, but, I gave him one point to Malone. But the, one of the biggest reasons for that is look at the other centers. It's Akeem Olajuwon. It's Patrick Ewing. It's Alonzo Mourning. It's Dikembe Mutombo. Like he had like if, if we went through, we'll go through the rest of the top fifteen later. Of the top fifteen guys in the league, six of them are centers. Whereas you go through the forwards, like. There's not that many other great forwards in the 90s, right? Like, it's a lot of guards and it's a lot of centers. So, like, Carl Malone, like, that that first-team All-NBA streak, like, it's amazing. It's impressive. I think it's I, I, it's either tied for the longest in NBA history or it's now been passed by LeBron. Uh, but yeah. a, a lot of that is is kind of the positional strength relative to the rest of the league. Because the other, the other great forwards, I mean, like, Scottie Pippen's a great forward. And then you start, like, getting in and you run into, like... Sean Kemp's and Great Hills and there, there's well, you not still have there's, Charles Barkley. 
Early 90s, you got Charles Barkley, but like the glut of centers, I think more explains why David Robinson isn't a guy that's racking up crazy first team selections. Uh, Because he doesn't have, like Carl Malone doesn't have, for the entire duration of the 90s, doesn't have another Carl Malone. There's also two All-NBA spots for forwards, just one for center, which I think like, I don't know, some of that kind of is a little bit of the murkiness behind that one sort of... uh, data point, if you will, pointing towards Carl Malone's resume. I'm not sure if this is to your point or not, Mike, to be honest, but like one knock against Robinson when you're talking about going up against other centers is he got absolutely cooked by Hakeem in the playoffs. And then in the 95 Western Conference Finals, which was Robinson's first chance to really get to the finals and uh, like take that next step in his legacy, Hakeem averaged 35-13 and 6 against him. Okay, and Robinson was well below his numbers for that year. He he averaged 28 for the year, only averaged 23 in that series. So, and, and everyone remembers the dream shake where Robinson bit on the pump fake. I mean, there's there's endless highlights of Akeem just cooking him that whole series, and I think that hurt his legacy. That might not have been saved until he won that, until Duncan sort of carried him to that title in the lockout season. But that that's definitely a knock on Robinson. Yeah. And, and if you remember, Akeem gave him the business because David Robinson went out and won MVP that year. So Akeem kind of showed all the MVP exactly. voters, hey, uh, you know, I, I'm still the best center in the league. So I, I, like I said, one of the reasons I did give Malone the jump over David Robinson, and I agree with you, Mike, that there were so many other centers. But you can't, even though it's not Carl Malone's fault that the, the rest of the uh, power forward field or just the forward field wasn't as deep. He still had to go out and produce for a, a, an entire decade. Decade and was clearly the best. Like you couldn't even make an argument that someone should be uh, uh, over him in those uh, in those situations for All NBA, and and it was a record at the time. And then the second thing I went to was the two MVPs uh, versus the one that Robinson had won. I know it's the washed up end of the year kind of half a season MVP in 1999 for the lockout year. It's still an MVP. It still goes on his resume. He still won it. And the last thing, twice in the playoffs. Carl Malone was able to get past David Robinson in 94 and in 96. And I think when you go head-to-head, being able to carry your team to deeper runs in the playoffs, I think that matters. I know David Robinson has the one ring at the end of the decade. But, again, I give Carl Malone the bulk of the 10 years versus David Robinson being able to win that championship in that weird lockout this season. And for what it's worth, you know, I mentioned how I, you know, I did my list really kind of without – I did a little bit of research while doing it just to make sure, you know, I wasn't splitting hair somewhere. I'm glad you brought up not just those those two series. He also beat him in 94. So Carl Malone and David Robinson only played each other three times in the playoffs. Carl Malone won all three, and none of them were really that competitive series. He was 11-4 and four overall looking at the individual game. So Malone with, with a pretty sizable head-to-head advantage as well, um, you know. So that, that kind of goes in your favor there. Scott, any beef or did you learn anything while kind of doing some research on the top four guys? The the one thing that I was going to say that was interesting to me is that Jordan's a clear number one, right? No brainer. But the fact that Jordan and Hakeem were from the same draft, and I feel like nobody ever really talks about, you know, everyone knows Jordan should have gone number one now, but no one really criticizes the Rockets for taking Hakeem Olajuwon. And we saw in the last dance too, former Bulls GM Rob Thorne said that he would have taken Hakeem at the head. They had the number one pick as well. And I just think that's very interesting. And it speaks to just how incredible Hakeem was that even though he was in the same draft as Jordan and taken ahead of him, correct me if I'm wrong, but you don't really hear people criticizing the Rockets for taking Hakeem. Um, 
And that's just not something you really see often, right? Because we're doing the same thing. Like Luka Doncic and Trey Young, right? A very recent example. Trey Young is a hell of a basketball player already, but we're already hammering the Hawks for trading Luka for him just because Luka is that good. Do you know what I mean? So um, I, I just, I really do think it speaks to how good Hakeem was that he's a clear number two on this um, when you factor in the draft and the history between him and Jordan and everything. And yeah. one, one and quick couple... Well, I'll just say a couple quick things on Akeem. He was almost a year uh, a near unanimous number two. Only one of our voters had him third. Someone did have Malone. And look, we talked about Hakeem Olajuwon dominating David Robinson. And those two championships, he took out Patrick Ewing in 94 while outplaying him. And then he took out Shaq in 95 while sweeping him. So like, it's like the three defining playoff series of his career came against three other Hall of Fame centers and he completely annihilated all three of them. Like, Hakeem Olajuwon was an absolute problem. And that 93-94 year when he won the MVP also wins Defensive Player of the Year. The only other guy in in, in NBA history to ever win both of them in the same year is, of course, Michael Jordan. So, I don't know. Like, in looking back on the 90s, the one biggest regret that I have is that we never got to see... Hakeem and Jordan go head to head uh, in the finals. Yeah, we'll get to that a little later on. I have something for you guys on that <laughs> specifically. Uh, so that's the top four. And I think, as we said, we're all in agreement with the top four. Maybe the order might be different for some, especially some of you guys listening out there. But now let's get to where we had the most debate throughout the entire top 15. Five through 10 is very interesting. Our list that made it to NBA.com. At number five, Scottie Pippen, six, Shaquille O'Neal, seven, Charles Barkley, eight, John Stockton, nine, Patrick Ewing, and ten, Gary Payton. Now, my list is completely different than this top ten, this uh, four through, or sorry, five through ten, and I'm assuming that you, Mike, and Alex uh, both have varying lists uh, amongst those, uh, those five other guys. Six other guys, rather. Yeah, so mine starts out actually... <laughs> So I actually had Pippen at number four. Uh, I didn't bring it up because for the sake of argument, and it was better to debate uh, Malone and, and Robinson, but I had Pippen ahead of Robinson. Um, and if you look at the, the points, the sum of points that were totaled from all the voting um, from, our, from all our guys, uh, Robinson only finished three points ahead of Pippen. So it was very, very close there. I actually had Pippen ahead, obviously, because of six titles, because I think um, he's probably the most versatile player of the 90s, and he's probably... You know, on the same level as we talked about last week is like Kawhi Leonard today, who's a lot of people will say is the best player in, in the league today. I think Pippen was on that level and just doesn't get enough credit for it. So uh, not to derail what we're about to discuss, you know, five through uh, through ten here, but uh, I had Pippen actually ahead of Robinson. That's interesting. I, you're wrong, but it's interesting. I don't <laughs> I, I don't like and the crazy thing is I think there was like three, four, and five, I honestly like you could you could spit out any order and I like I, I I wouldn't be able to knock you. Like I was looking I was going back and looking at the uh the ninety three ninety four season. That's the one that Scottie Pippen finishes third in MVP. They only win two fewer games uh than the Bulls did the previous year uh when they won the third straight title. I also didn't realize that 
Scottie Pippen missed 10 games in that season, and the Bulls only went four and six in those in those games. So they won two fewer games, despite the fact that Pippen even missed 10, and they had, they had a losing record, and like Dennis Rodman wasn't there yet. Um, I don't know. Scottie Pippen was a problem, man. In saying that, though, doesn't that feel sort of like what we're seeing with the Toronto Raptors right now, where they're getting credit now for being more than just a Kawhi Leonard team, whereas at that time, the Chicago Bulls probably wouldn't have got the credit that they deserved for being a more complete team around Mike. And then when he got removed from the situation, yes, Pippen was great, and he was able to take that next step, but they were still a decent team, and they still were one of the top four teams in the conference. So you're going to walk in here and try to tell me that Scottie Pippen is Kyle Lowry and Pascal Siakam? I'm, I'm not is that what you're doing? That. I'm just saying the credit, the credit for the championship is being made right now to say that it was more than just Kawhi Leonard on the team, same way that the credit for the 94 season is saying it's more than just Mike. Like there was more pieces to that puzzle. I mean, I'm I'm looking at here like I have Scottie Pippen fifth on my list. You only had him sixth. It's not like you I have did. like Scottie Pippen as chapped liver. Like what are we doing yeah. here? You're like disparaging no, no, not- Scottie Pippen like he should be 16th. I'm not. I'm not arguing that. I'm just saying that he. I. I wouldn't have had him in a top four. I think David Robinson's better than Scottie Pippen, just pound for pound. When you're just looking at the two by themselves, David Robinson was able to carry. He was. He was the guy. He was the guy. Pippen was only the guy for two years. And like you said, his peak was higher. I'm not, not killing Scottie. Not killing Scottie. You better not kill Scottie because he's the best uh, perimeter defender of all time. Not named Michael Jordan. To be honest, he he might have been the hardest uh, guy for me to rank. He, he, he really I mean, what do you what do you do? Like, you never you he had the best six years of his career. Well, six of the seven best years of his career were not net were were next to the guy that's undisputed number one. Like, I don't know what you do with that. Yeah, it, it like, was. Imagine it was really imagine hard. trying to figure out like Kobe if he never if he only played next to Shaq. Right. You know. Yeah. I don't know how you that, would do that. That was a, that was the hard part for me is really finding where I would put Scotty and what it came down to for me I had him at sixth on the list behind uh, obviously David Robinson who I said I had in the top four but also behind Charles Barkley who I had five because I thought that Scotty when he had the opportunity to have his shine the two te- the two seasons that he played without Mike you mentioned that he was top three in MVP voting but he never got to be the MVP he never got to be the best player in the league. Whereas Charles Barkley was able to do that uh, in that 93 season with the Phoenix Suns. And, you know, you, you could put Charles Barkley uh, in the conversation as the best player to never win a title, right? Like he's, he's, in that, he's in that four or five name mix of best players to never win the title. And I think people forget, because he's, he's a goofy guy on TV now, but I think people forget how nice Charles Barkley was and how, how much he revolutionized the game by playing the position he played at, the size he played it at, and the way he played it. Like, and especially when he got older, when he won that MVP in that 93 season, he wasn't the bully that he was in the, in the 80s. Like he, he was a guy that was facing you know, the basket, taking more threes, and uh, putting it on the deck a little bit more. He transformed his game uh, and, and turned into you know, one of the better players in the league by doing so. So that's why I had Charles at, uh, at five and Scotty at six, is because I think... Charles was able to show us that he could carry a team and lead them all the way to the finals and two wins away from being a champion uh, versus Scotty, you know, losing to the Knicks in the, in the, in the playoffs and, and, and the year after not being able to, to get it done in the playoffs as well until Mike came back. One of the other things about... Bar- also, go ahead. No, you go ahead. There's also on Barkley, there's not, not a ton of guys on this list of the top 15 that we have 
were good every single year of this of the 90s um, as far as productivity and playing in all the games or the majority of the games. Barkley was one of the few. Every single year, he averaged at least 15 points, five rebounds, three assists, and, and usually much better than that. But uh, he's one of only two guys to do that the whole the whole decade. So you got to give him some credit for uh, consistency and durability. Yeah, and those Houston years, he was he was pretty washed up too. Like he was coming off the bench for some of those Houston uh, the the back end of the Houston years. Yeah, one of the things that I, I think people tend to forget about Barkley too is like he's an amazing big game player. Like we you talk about like guys that always step up in the playoffs. Charles Barkley is somebody like he's like uh, you know a couple weeks ago, Carl, you and I were. We're having a conversation about how Chris Webber like, never seemed to rise to the occasion, how all 50 of his best games uh, in his entire career were from the regular season. You look at Charles Barkley. That guy had a crazy laundry list of big games in the playoffs. If you look at the 80s and 90s, the only two players from, from those two decades combined uh, that had a higher career average game score in playoff games are Michael Jordan and Akeem Olajuwon. Like, Charles Barkley brought his best whenever the stakes were at their highest. That, by the way, includes that 93 finals when they when they lost to Jordan because Jordan just like had a complete out-of-body experience even for him. Uh, the fact that Charles Barkley was able to win an MVP during Michael Jordan's prime and unlike, unlike the MVP that Carl Malone won, nobody ever looks back at that 93 MVP and says that Chuck shouldn't have got it. Like, that's right. a pretty unanimous, like, yeah, he, he won it. He deserved it. Uh, I don't know. Barkley at his best was... Whew, it's kind of crazy that, that uh, we had him where we did. I don't know about we. I, was, I, have, I have a question. <laughs> I have a question about this then. Because I, I, I was going to, if I'm looking at this right, Mike and Colin, you both had Charles Barkley against Shaq, right? Um, Alex, I believe you are the only one of the three to have Shaq ahead of Charles Barkley. Uh, and I kind of want to know why you think that. Because the, the, one of the big things that jumped out to me when I was looking back at this is you just look, I mean, Shaq was 18th in win shares in the 90s. Everyone knows how dominant of a player it was, but he played only 455 games and all these other guys are playing 600, 700 plus. And it's, it's just a very tough conversation when you get into, you know, the longevity of the decade, what guys accomplished, how the good they were at their peak and everything. So by the way, you guys are talking about it. It just seems like Charles Barkley should be a no-brainer ahead of Shaq. Yeah, I mean, there you go, Scott, bringing the 90s heat. You got, you got me in a, in a, tough, uh, <laughs> a tough position here because you made a good point. But um. Honestly, for me, it was uh, it was about the it was about Shaq's absolute dominance. I mean, he if you go back and look at the numbers, like yeah, Barkley had incredibly versatile numbers, but nobody had the dominant uh, rebounding and and scoring numbers and field goal percentage numbers, shot blocking numbers that that Shaq really had. Um, and he made he made a finals. I know Barkley did too. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a pretty good argument looking back at it. And Shaq didn't actually win a title until uh, until the first year of the next decade. So yeah, look, looking back, I might might have switched that up. But I had actually had Stockton ahead of both those guys. So Ooh. it's uh, that's a whole other discussion we can get into. I I do want to get into John Stockton, but go ahead, Micah. Well, the other thing that I I think is is kind of a little bit difficult when it comes to Shaq and Barkley as well is like. Like I think of Shaq and I gravitate towards like the Lakers three peat in the two thousands, right? And then I think of Barkley and I think of like late eighties Sixers Charles Barkley, who's just like a crazy unique, absolute wrecking ball of a guy. So it, it's a little bit weird when like maybe the best version of both guys 
came not in the 90s. I, I, that's debatable with Barkley because his MVP comes in the 90s there there in Phoenix and, and everything. But I don't know. I found that interesting when looking and trying to separate like the two different versions of Shaq and the two different versions of Charles Barkley. Because uh, that those are guys that kind of just that their careers didn't necessarily fit exactly into one decade or the other. I, and I agree with you. I was in the same boat as I, I thought of Shaq as a, at his peak coming in the 2000s. Whereas I, I agree with you with the Barkley. You do think of him as the late 80s, a sort of early 90s guy. But his peak to me came at, in the 90s. So I gave him the nod over, over Shaquille O'Neal. I actually had Shaq quite a few spots down lower than uh, lower than Charles Barkley on, on my list. The group had him at six. Do we agree with, Bar- with, uh, with Shaq being at six right behind Pippen? I disagree. I had him at six, so I can't, I can't, uh, can't argue with it. Although I had uh, Stockton ahead of him. I, I, I'm sorry, I had him at seven. I also had, I had Stockton ahead of him. I also had Stockton ahead of Shaq. I think Stockton is maybe the most. I he might be the most slept on player in this whole list. He might be. I actually had Shaq eight and Stockton nine, so I wasn't far off of what you guys had. John Stockton fell at eight on our list. That's probably because you guys had him a lot higher than some of the younger guys on our team. Some of the younger guys on our team didn't even have him in the top ten, which is blasphemous. Let's get into John Stockton because we you can't talk Malone, who's in the top three, top four of our list, and not talk Stockton. And also... John Stockton, without Malone by himself, his accomplishments, great as an individual player. That's why, in my opinion, should be a stone-cold lock for top 10. Uh, I, I get, again, I had him at 9. The group had him at 8. You guys had him higher. Why is Stockton slept on? I don't understand. I think people, people think of Stockton and like they only think of assists and that he's a great passer. And then they only think of, okay, he was the second-best guy on a team for two decades. They don't... like. Nobody ever like he he was the the all time not the all time he he led the entire decade in steals he was a four time all defense guy like he was a gr- really efficient shooter he's a big time clutch player one of the best competitors ever you hear like uh like Allen Iverson talk about like the first time a st- like he really knew he was in the NBA is because he got worked by John Stockton he had no idea that John Stockton was this like bad dude who was just like a dirt not dirty but like crazy hard player really gritty uh and could could like he wasn't just like running pick and rolls sliding bounce passes through guys like john stockton was was an absolute baller who just so happened to be the best the the best passer and and pure point guard of the 90s he was all nba nine times out of those 10 seasons in the 90s uh mike talked about his his shooting efficiency he shot 52 percent as a point guard overall in the 90s 40 percent from three Okay, this is a guy, by the way, shot 40% from three on two attempts per game. If he was playing today, so he only averaged 15 points a game in the 90s, I I guarantee he'd be averaging close to mid-20s because he would have the green light. He'd be putting up like Steve Nash-ish type numbers, probably even scoring more than Nash did. Um, So, you know, you didn't even see like the the full unleashed John Stockton. He averaged 15-12, 2.3 steals in the 90s, and... Made the All Star team almost every year, and led his team to two finals. So I, I don't know. I think uh, he's. I think he accomplished more in Shaq. I think he accomplished more in Barkley overall in the decade. And uh, he's like Micah said, he's one of the most underappreciated players of all time. One of the things that jumped out to me a couple of weeks ago, I did a, a deep dive into the John Stockton Carmelo and pick and roll, and just why it was so dominant. And 
the, the the biggest thing that jumped out to me when watching those plays is how they used to set picks for him at the elbow. So he used to be able to just pull up from mid-range. And like you're saying, Alex, today those would be threes. But even then, like, you look at what John Stockton shot from that range, like long twos, and it's absolutely absurd. So basketball reference have his numbers from 96, 97 onwards until he retired. So ages between 34 and 40. Between 10 and 16 feet in those years, he shot 46.4%. Um, he shot 46.4% from 10 to 16 feet, 49.8% from 16 feet to the three-point line, and then just under 40% from the three-point line. Like, he was just an absolute monster from that distance. Um, and, and I think you're right. He, he kind of was like Nash before Nash. That's kind of how I, I think of it. Yeah, he, he definitely that, that's That's great data, Scott. Uh, I didn't even know the data went back that far um, to that granular of a optical tracking level. But uh, yeah, I mean, I said Nash, like I could almost, you could almost have said Trey Young. Like, like I wouldn't be surprised if, if Stockton was dropping 30 and 15 on a regular basis today, if he was on the right team with the right players around him. I, so, I, yeah, I, I feel I, like he, he, we didn't see him. I feel like Steve Nash is a guy. Cause like Steve Nash is, has been a guy that has said a couple of times recently, like, he wasn't unleashed the way that like Mike D'Antoni's unleashed James Harden. Like if he could do it over again, he'd probably take twice as many threes. You guys do bring up a good point. Like I, I think like Stockton, maybe even more than more than Nash, could be the guy that's putting up the James Harden. Like would John Stockton have won an MVP if you if you like took that those Jazz teams and you basically picked them up and transported them and placed them in today's league? Like I wonder, like if Stockton and not Malone is is like the guy on Utah. They also, by the way, played on a team that for the decade ranked just twenty first in pace. So a lot of those scoring and assist numbers are also a result of playing on a team that, like by the late nineties, they were running a little bit more. But like Jerry Sloan had that team like walking up and down. It's not like John Stockton was. He he wasn't unleashed in the sense they didn't have a green light, but he's also playing within a system that didn't really allow for for a whole lot of creativity on the fly. Got two things for you guys. I actually, you guys know, I am the honorary Canadian here. I love me some Steve Nash, two-time MVP, one of the greatest of all time, uh, point guards of all time. I think it's still a little bit disrespect to call John Stockton Steve Nash. You, if you're going to say Steve Nash, you got to say Steve Nash with defense. The dude defended way better than Steve Nash ever did. We're talking about an all-defensive team member. Steve Nash never even sniffed that. I mean, no one would even dream about putting Steve Nash on an all-defensive team. So if you're going to say Steve Nash, you got to say Steve Nash with defense. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I, I was honestly just talking about offense, but yeah, Stockton's defense is something that's also probably significantly underrated. Nobody wants it. Point guards circled Utah on the calendar as a, as a game they were not looking forward to playing all season. So I, I completely agree with you. And then the second thing, uh, for my, these are for, for you guys because you guys are my numbers guys. Do you think that the number, like the way that the game is tracked today, John Stockton would be appreciated more in this era because of just the data, the available data and all the things that just don't show up on an old stat sheet, which was just points, rebounds, and assists. Would that benefit John Stockton's legacy now if he played you know, at, at the peak of his career now? For sure. I mean, I, I, Scott and Mike are the, are the advanced analytics guys, but I'm sure like points created, no one was talking about that in the 90s. And I mean, guys weren't shooting as many threes, so maybe it wouldn't be as stark. But there, yeah, I'm sure there's all sorts of optical tracking that, that Stockton would make Stockton look like gold. I agree. I, I think stuff like that, like points created. He also, I mean, John Stockton led the league in true shooting percentage as a point guard for three seasons in his career. 
obviously we have access to those stats now and we can look back on it to, to when his rookie season was but obviously that's not something that was made a big deal of during the time because no one talked about true shooting percentage and I also think little things like what he's what his points uh, point per possession is as a pick and roll ball handler um you know what, what he can do running off of screen spotting up and things like that so i absolutely do think mike and i have talked about this as an idea of kind of guys from the 90s 80s who would look even better by today's standards because of all the access to information that we have and i think stockton would probably make that short list like the one of the years that jumps out so the 94 95 season he leads the entire nba an offensive box plus minus, which is just basically a fancy sort of catch-all that's throwing in scoring and assists and shooting and, and, and shooting efficiency. He also led the NBA three different times in offensive rating, which is, is really more of a team stat, but I think it speaks by Like, we don't have on and off stats uh, going back to his career. I would venture to guess that the 90s Jazz teams were, would have he would have had some of the most ridiculous on-court, off-court splits. Like, I bet those Jazz teams, maybe not, maybe saying that they wouldn't do anything without Stockton is a little bit strong, but I would venture to guess like he's one guy that leaps out uh, that would kind of like make those teams click. Like I, I bet Carl Malone was twice the player uh, whenever Stockton was out there than, than whenever he was out there with, you know, Howard Isley and, and, and Jeff Hornacek running, running the show instead of John Stockton. And like you're saying, that maybe that shifts the MVP conversation. So those years that Carmelo is MVP, maybe we're talking about it as Stock, like Carmelo is who he is because of Stockton, and he really is the MVP of that team. So maybe maybe it does change those what, conversations as well. One of the things with him that I think, and and we've heard this came up sometimes in the Jordan doc when it was like one of the big differences with Michael Jordan was he wasn't like you know like you watch like uh, those Rockets and Warriors series from the last couple of years and it's like every time down the floor James Harden is seeking out switches to try to get on Steph Curry and there's a lot more like defensive targeting and that wasn't really like a thing in the 90s so I do wonder a little bit just with with Stockton's size and you know like he's the big steal numbers like I do wonder how he would fare in a league in which sort of people are always looking to exploit size because like he's not a big guy what he's what six one maybe uh so i i do wonder how maybe he would hold up uh in today's league if constantly teams are putting him in pick and rolls and then having him guard six five six 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 seven guys off of switches which again like that wasn't really a thing teams didn't do that uh in his era so i don't know just one more thing to think about fair that's all that's all fair points i think he would have held his own to be honest with you i think he would have held his own in terms of being able to guard at that size um, another player that I actually had a very tough time figuring out where to place him was Patrick Ewing. Uh, on my list, I had him seventh. On the big list that made it to NBA.com, he was ninth. I thought he's, he's better than the ninth player in the, in the decade. Um, I have him higher than I think most. Where did you guys land on Patrick Ewing? And was it as hard as it was for, for you guys as it was for me? I actually had Ewing ahead of Barkley. Uh, at number eight. That's that New York think, bias. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe. It, it, I mean, it really might be because I grew up watching him, but he, this is a guy that I really think if it wasn't for Hakeem or Jordan would have two or three titles by now. I mean, Jordan knocked him out three times. Hakeem knocked him out in the seven-game series in the finals. And, and this guy was absolutely dominant. I mean, in the first year of the decade, he averaged 29 points, 11 rebounds, four blocks a game. I mean, who averages four blocks anymore, I guess, besides Robinson and Akeem? So, and plus the Knicks, I mean, who really were, I mean, the Knicks were Patrick Ewing. And they didn't really have any other legitimate, all, like, 
perennial all-stars on that team in the 90s. And between 91 and 97, uh, the, only, the only teams that had more wins than the Knicks were the Bulls, Sonics, and Jazz, who we'll talk about all three of those teams during this podcast. The Knicks, by a wide margin, led all their teams in, uh, in points allowed per 100 possessions. So they were the best defensive team for six years, and that was because of Ewing anchoring that team. They averaged 55 wins per season. Ewing made the All-Star team every year, all NBAs. Uh, yeah, the only thing missing from his from his resume is is a title, and he was pretty much very good throughout that whole decade until he got injured in uh, ninety seven ninety eight. So he's a guy you can I I would put over Barkley. I think it's very very even, but I think the title hurts him significantly. No, just want to just want to clean up one one thing quickly for you, go Mike uh, Micah. It, he actually lost to MJ five times in, in the in the playoffs more than anyone else, any other Hall of Famer uh, eliminated in, in the playoffs five times, and the next closest was three. Charles Barkley. Yeah, I, Colin, you just wrote you wrote something recently about how like nobody won on Michael Jordan's watch, and I think that like you look at if if you were to come up with an all time list of like the best players to never win an NBA title, I don't know would like half of the top ten be guys from the nineties? Like it's it's Carl Malone, it's Patrick Ewing, it's Charles Barkley. Like really, the only guy to win. It's Hakeem, and he did it in the two years that kind of like one of them, Jordan wasn't there, and then the 95 year where like, I don't know, that that, that doesn't really count, right? And so like Ewing, I, I, you know, he won more, he won more playoff games than any, uh, in the East than any non-Bulls player, you know, and I think it, I, people kind of give the Knicks a lot of crap for, for like, they never won a title, right? And they haven't won, it's been what, 40 years since they've won one. They made the not only did they make the playoffs every year of the '90s, they also made it past the first round in all but one of them. Like they're they, they reached a couple of finals. They're always in the Eastern Conference Finals, and and then when they're going out, for the most part, they're 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 going out in, in longer extended series, right? They, they they pushed the Bulls to seven, and was it '93 or '94? They lost the finals to Houston in seven. So like I think that Ewing, he's a guy that I think once I really looked at sort of. What he did in those playoff series and the 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 lengths and the the extended runs, he's a guy that I think in the moment I don't think I truly appreciated as much as when you really step back and look at it. I think if there's one guy, and honestly, even more than Carl Malone, if there's one guy that stood in the way of of us appreciating him for what it what he is because of Michael Jordan, I think it's Patrick Ewing. Yeah, and the, and the other guy that stood in his way was Akeem Olajuwon. Like he, he he didn't get it any easier. Number one and two on our list. Um, where did you have him on your on your uh, on, on your top ten? Because he was he was ninth in our big list. Uh, I had him at tenth, and in looking back on it, I I think I would have had him two or three spots higher. I think if we were to redo this, I think maybe in that seven eight range. I I, I probably would have had him ahead of Shaq and probably ahead of Gary Payton. Yeah, for for me, what it came down to also when I was making this list, and I haven't brought this up yet because it, it didn't really come up. I, it, it was beyond numbers and beyond everything. I think when if aliens were to come down and you were to try and explain what happened in the '90s uh, during the NBA or, or throughout that decade, you can't do that without talking about Patrick Ewing. Like he he was such a big part of that era that he he just had to be in the top ten based off of that alone. I, like he, he was one of the premier players in the biggest market. He was, you know, the face of of of, of the New York Knicks for so long. He's he's been their best player probably of all time, right? Like I, I know he didn't win a championship, but 
if you're going to, 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 to crown someone as the greatest player of Knicks history, is it not Patrick Ewing? Are you just saying this because he was in Space Jam? <laughs> well, yeah, that too. That too. They're, they're, that was an important movie at, at the time. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think you're right. I, I think you're definitely right. Um, by the way, the Knicks haven't won in 47 years. Um, and counting. It's been a, it's been a <laughs> terrible, terrible... Uh, I didn't mean to twist that knife and pour salt on it at the same time. <laughs> yeah, I think... I mean, Willis Reed and Clyde, and Clyde Frazier were two guys that some Nick fans might argue were better than Ewing, but it's, it's a good argument for Ewing. The other, the other interesting thing about talking about him when, in the 90s is he turned 30 in 1992. So the majority of this decade was what, for a lot of guys, is past his prime. And, and he made the All-Star team every year through age 34. So we didn't even see like the super athletic, you know, blocking three or four shots a game Ewing that he was for most of the 80s. We saw kind of the more under-the-rim, shooting fadeaway jumpers Ewing. Uh, so who knows what it would have been like if, if, his year, if his career started five years later. I, th- I, think, if, uh, I think if Patrick Ewing is a guy that played in today's league, he'd be Scott Rafferty's favorite player in the league. You think he'd be Brook? He'd be he'd be like Brook Lopez on like ever on like truckloads of steroids, like amazing defensive player. He would definitely be shooting threes too, right? I mean, if he's doing those like two, that things. guy had a pretty silky mid range game, right? Like he'd be out, he'd be bombing threes, he'd be winning defensive player of the years. Like I don't know. I think he, I think you you would you would love you would have loved you some Patrick Ewing. That's interesting because he wasn't he'd be Brooke. he wasn't the number one player on my list of of guys I think I would enjoy more either had I watched them more during their primes or seen them like if they were in the league today. Um, we haven't mentioned the guy's name yet, so I'm gonna I'm gonna save it for later. I actually wonder that's that that brings me to my next question for Mike and Alex. Like in saying that, because so the guy like Scott who didn't get to watch his prime probably doesn't appreciate Ewing. Uh, as much as we do, but what do you think holds people back from being able to do that? Because some of his greatest games, uh, you know, there's like there's more, there's more. I see more Ewing highlights of him missing that layup against the Pacers than I do of you know him knocking down a big shot uh, against a Pacers team, you know, in, in the same in the very same series. Like there's more, there's more highlights of him losing than there is of him winning. And there's also, I think. The biggest thing to me that hurts his legacy is the fact that the Knicks were able to make the finals that one year in the lockout season with him not being a part of it. And I know the Bill Simmons Ewing theory is a whole probably a whole reason for it, but I think that is a huge part of why people don't respect him more as a basketball player and what he did really in the nineties. To piggyback off that real quick, by the way, I also don't think it helps that probably the one highlight that everyone sees most frequently nowadays is Scottie Pippen dunking on him. Do you know what I mean? Like he's his most famous highlight now is him being on the receiving end of one of the best dunks in NBA history. So I don't know if that helps either. Yeah, I think all that plays into it. it uh, the media scrutiny that he was under in New York was so intense. I mean, he just he wasn't appreciated during that time. I think Nick fans, of course, look back now that it's so terrible and, and think of how incredible he was. But back then, he was not appreciated. He was constantly crushed for not winning, getting over the hump. It, it's the, the no title thing. is just killer. I mean, the, the missed layup versus Pacers. That, they showed the missed layup so many times that I forgot that in the same series, Ewing hit a game winner from yeah. almost the same spot at the buzzer. I mean, so no one talks about that. They just focus, of course, they're getting to focus on the negative. Um, I, yeah, it's just the, it's the missed title. He also guaranteed that they would win it all one year, and they obviously didn't. So the no title just kills him. I got, I got nothing to add. You're spot on. The, the 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 Pacers the the combination of the the 
him getting dunked on by Scottie Pippen and then uh, that one buzzer beater being overshadowed by the missed layup kind of says all you need to know about like if you you try to just like sum up Patrick Ewing's legacy in like a handful of plays like there's not like those are the just unfortunately the two that come out he also by the way he had 37 17 and 4 in a game 7 loss against the Heat in 97 like that's an outrageous line. Like that's an amazing game seven. That that's like every bit as good, if not better, than like Draymond Green going nuts in game seven against the Cavs in the 2016 finals. Like he's you look at Patrick Ewing's career in game sevens, he's got a 37 and 17. There's a 29, 14, and 5, 24, 22, 7 and 5. Uh, in a game that they they beat the Pacers in '94, so there's a laundry list of. And he of, had the game-winning dunk that year. Yeah. So sorry, Micah. No, it's I, I I think Patrick Ewing is is on the short end of the stick. Patrick Ewing be, would be on all. Uh, he didn't have help team in this era. Like, uh, there's always guys out there that just say they didn't have help. Like, I love John Starks, but John Starks wasn't an all star. Like, he was just he was a really good player at the time, and that was probably Patrick Ewing's best player that he ever played with. Right? Through the 90s? Till out. Probably. Yeah. You could say Mason. You could say Oakley. But it, Starks was the most popular. Yeah. So, I, 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 yeah, I mean, he never really had a, a chance to get a secondary star out there to, to, to truly help him get over the hump anyway. So, uh, Patrick, you're ninth on the list. I really think that he should be a little bit higher than that. Uh, rounding out the top 10 is Gary Payton. I had Gary Payton a lot lower than, than what the big list had. And, and the reason for that was he... Yes, he was better, in my opinion, than Sean Kemp. But a, a lot of my guys on my, on my list all have, you know, uh, all NBA appearances and all that stuff. And, and Gary Payton really didn't have the resume that I thought he would have had. But he was still really important in the 90s. And I just don't think he was a top 10 player in the 90s. I think you could put a couple guys above him. Where, where did you guys have him in, in, the, uh, in the list? I had him. I had him. I had him at, go ahead. I had him 10. So it was kind of consistent. I, I agree. I think Clyde Drexler could easily be ahead of him. He, he was a guy who, his career arc is a little bizarre because he didn't really become that Hall of Fame type guy until his fifth year in the league. And that was 1994. I mean, up until then, his, best, his first All-Star season was 93-94, uh, where he just averaged 16-6. and six. I mean, he was a great defender, but he wasn't blowing anyone away with his numbers. Uh, even before... He became the all-star. Seattle was already a very good team. I think they won like 57 games in 92-93 uh, before Peyton's first all-star game. So he, he's, he's kind of got a weird career arc where his best, his best statistical seasons came after the Sonics really had their peak. So I think 10's fine, but I could easily see other guys being ranked ahead of him. I, I had him at nine, and going back, I probably also would have had him at ten. I originally had him over Patrick Ewing, and I, I think I, I probably, uh, I probably messed up on that one. I do, I do think it, like in the larger grand scheme of things, though, I feel like Gary Payton, like, I, it's really tough to, like, I think like he's by far, and it's not even close, like he's by far the best defensive point guard of all time, right? I mean, both I in terms of who, who'd you put ahead of him? I had John Stockton ahead of him. Don't do that. John Stockton's a nice defensive player. John Stockton is not Gary Payton defensively. The only two guys with more first-team all-defense selections in the 90s 
or Scottie Pippen and Michael Jordan. He's got the most by a point guard ever, and it's it's not even close. It's like the only guy, like it's it's literally not close. And not only in terms of ability, in terms of productivity with the steals numbers, but just a guy that like he's he, like he well I don't know like Patrick Beverly but times fifty in terms of like just the trash talking, the intensity, an amazing athlete in his own regards. I think Gary Payton is somebody that like you you have all these all time like all time point guard lists. I think he's a guy that gets slept on way too much in all of these sort of uh, historic conversations. I think Gary Payton's amazing. This is I slept on him. Go ahead, this go was my pick for uh, players I'd probably appreciate more. By the way. He was number one on my list because I think defensively, I would have loved watching him. He's famous for what playing defense well against Michael Jordan in the playoffs uh, one time. And then I also think point guards just don't post up anymore. And Gary Payton was a legit post up point guard. And I feel like I would have just loved that part of his game. I had him, I had him lower on this list for, uh, for two reasons. One, I couldn't put him in top 10 because my top 10, and and again, we didn't have any criteria, but the criteria I gave myself was the top 10 guys have to be really good both on both ends of the floor. And I think the only guy that in my, in my top 10, that was a slouch, maybe defensively is Barkley, but the other nine guys were, were good on both ends of the floor. I I, I couldn't, I couldn't see any holes in their games uh, either way. And as you said, Peyton took a little while to, to start getting going probably to the middle of the decade uh, before he became some, some more of a, a, an offensive threat. Now, some of them had to, some of that had to do with the fact that he had a star in Sean Kemp, who, you know, was, you know, one of the leading scorers on his team for some time. And when Sean Kemp went away, it was Vin Baker and he, he took over scoring wise or had to share some of that load with Vin Baker. Uh, but Gary Payton to me was more known for his defense and his offense wasn't on the same level as the 10 other guys that I put ahead of him. And I actually had him uh, behind Dikembe Mutombo uh, because I thought Dikembe Mutombo's value defensively in that decade was more important than Gary Payton. So I couldn't put him over Dikembe Mutombo in, on, my, uh, on my top 15 list for that reason. You also Which had Grant Hill out of him. Oh, I did. I can't wait we, to talk we, about We'll get to that right I now. Wait, I can't wait to talk about Grant. You've been more fired up about Grant Hill than someone that's not on this list, which we'll also get into. <laughs> it's going to get fun uh, in a couple minutes. Uh, Scott, any beef with our with our with our five through ten? Uh, not really. I, I probably like you guys were talking about Patrick Ewing. I probably didn't appreciate what he was able to do in his prime enough, or even past his prime. Like Alex was saying, how he's in his his thirties and things like that. But to me, looking at this list, I, I don't really have any any beef with the top ten. All right, here's where the beef is going to come in. Five, the last five, the bottom five. We said uh, before we even started recording that the ten best players were pretty much you know the same, give or take one or two guys uh, for pretty much everybody. But this is where we had a lot of variance in each of the lists. Nine lists, uh, nine guys compiled this list from eleven through fifteen. The big list includes Gary or Reggie Miller, not Gary Payton. Reggie Miller at eleven. Mike is fuming about that one. Clyde Drexler <laughs> at twelve. Grant Hill at 13, Alex is fuming about that, Dikembe Mutombo at 14, and Alonzo Mourning rounding out the list. No Dennis Rodman, no Penny Hardaway, uh, and a bunch of other names that uh, we will get into, but Reggie Miller at 11, Micah, the floor is yours. It's a joke. There's no way that Reggie Miller is the 11th player, the 11th best player of a decade, when he was never considered a top 15 player in any one season, the entire decade, the highest he ever finished. By who? 
The high the highest that Reggie Miller finished in MVP voting in any year, any year, the entire decade is 16th. 16th. And he's on a team that's winning that's winning games. It's not like this is a guy that was on lottery bound teams and so he was he he didn't win MVPs or get considered because he wasn't on good teams. Made the playoffs in nine of ten years. And even with that, still not a single top 15 MVP finish the entire decade. There is no way that that is the 11th best player of the decade. He's a compiler. He that that's what he is. He's a, he's a compiler that hit threes before no one else did. And he, by the way, also completely disappeared <laughs> in the fourth quarter of the two biggest games of his career. They had a shot to take out the Bulls in Game Seven of the '98 Eastern Conference Final. Guy goes scoreless and takes one freaking shot in the fourth quarter. What are we doing here? By the way, he did the same thing in Game 7 against the Knicks with a shot to get to the finals. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. He wasn't even the best player on, some of the, on, on almost all of those Pacers teams. Pound for pound, if you just... The only, the only way, the only universe that he's the best player on those Pacers teams is if you just sort by points per game, and that's all you do. Detlef Shrimp was a better okay, pacer nah, than nah, Reggie nah, nah, Miller. Nah, don't do Mark that. Jackson don't was a do better that. pacer. Rick Smith, do Anil that. Davis, Antonio Davis, I was Jaylen with Rose, you up until there. all of them. I was with you up until there. That's taking it too far now. He was the best player on a lot of those teams. I, I mean, come on. No, knock it off. You don't take that back. Walk that back. I'm going to take that back. I mean, that's too <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what, though. If, 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 if what, eight points in 17 seconds doesn't happen, like, no, there's not a single guy whose entire legacy is based more off one 17-second stretch and one picture of him choking to Spike Lee. He's the guy that hey, has Hey, guess what? Those, those are two different that games. That's okay, great. Those are two different games. Fine. A lot of people two confuse those moments. two games, but the, the choking game was the game where he had like 25 points in the fourth quarter to, to lead the Pacers to a come-from-behind win. So those are two different games, just okay. for the record. Although two I games. kind of agree with you on record. Congratulations. You had two, two iconic <laughs> games that get summed up by that are memeable moments. Uh, Alex, you he also had a pretty huge game-winning shot against the against Jordan and the Bulls. Uh, you know, he had a three in the last two seconds to win by he one. Did. When Jordan banked off, uh, you know, had an in and out off the backboard from half court uh, to follow. So that was that's three moments. I'm sure there's there's plenty more. They also made the finals. Uh, so actually, that would have been 2000, right? Yeah, so that, he just missed the era. Yeah, just missed it. Alex, you, you actually uh, probably got your heart broken more than anybody here by Reggie, uh, by being a Nick fan in the 90s. So where did you have Reggie on your list? Did you have Reggie on your list? And, and, and uh, where did you have Yeah, I was actually at the game where he had uh, eight points in 16 seconds, and the, the person sitting next to me left with uh, 16 seconds left. So left thinking the Knicks won. But, uh, <laughs> and that was, that was a really heartbreaking moment for... Uh, for a nine-year-old me. But I, I had him at 12 really because I don't disagree that he was really one-dimensional, like Michael was saying. And, I, you know, I think he's a little overrated, but he made the playoffs. Pacers made the playoffs every year of the decade. He was good every year of the decade. He shot pretty efficiently for a guy who was hoisting up threes. I mean, one, two, three, four of those years, he shot over 50%. He was over 40% for three most of those years. And you know, was a clutch player, 20 points a game every season. He, he has consistency. He never missed a game. Never. I mean, I think, I see five years in a row he played 82 games. So you got to give him some credit for just being, playing on a really high level, whatever you want to call that level. If it was just scoring, he was on a really high level for 10 straight years. So I give him, I give him some props for that. 
Yeah, that was going to be my question to you guys. Like, Colin, you said at the start that we didn't really set, a, you know, guidelines to how we were going to go about this and rank these guys. But at some point, longevity has to matter, right? Or at least to a certain extent. Like, you have to take that into account. And to me, it just seems, Micah, I, I mean, I, I can see exactly what you're saying. Um, that his peak as a player is probably overblown and everything because of certain moments that he's, he's had in his career. But he just did have sustained success that entire decade. So to me, it's, it does seem weird that he wouldn't even crack the top 15 at the very least. I had, I, had him, I had him at 14 on my list. I think a lot lower than a lot of people had him on. And I almost didn't actually include him in the top 15. And the only reason why I did at the last minute, he was one of the guys that I just subbed in at the last minute, was because, again, I went back to, if you were to explain to someone what the 90s was, and you, you remove Reggie Miller from the conversation, I don't think you can have that conversation. I don't think you can explain to anybody how, how, the, 90s, how the 90s shook shake down or how many big moments happened in the 90s without explaining Reggie Miller to you know, a guy like Scott who didn't... Like Scott knows Reggie Miller, but doesn't, may not have, have seen him play, but he knows who he is without having to watch the games because he was that important to an entire decade. And he had his peak... In that, in those ten years, it didn't come in the eighties, and it didn't come in the two thousand. It came in the nineties, and I, I would, you can't have a conversation about the nineties and not have Reggie Miller in the top fifteen. I, I get the the accolades and everything else, but he was just that. He was just a, he was a face of the league. For what one of the faces of the league. Sorry. For what it's worth, the the one year <laughs> the his highest MVP finish that ninety seven ninety eight. He finishes tied for sixteenth. Do you know he finished tied for sixteenth with? Care to guess? Care to guess? <laughs> No clue. Rick Smiths, his own wow. teammate. <laughs> the highest MVP voting in the entire decade, he also shared it with the teammate. Get so him this, out of here. Do you I feel do think he's I, underrated, I do think, though? Do what? Do you feel he's underrated, though? In, 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 all, in all honesty, like, you, if you were to take away, if you were to take away just the, the, the accolades and everything, you just didn't know anything about it, and you went to watch games, you would think that Reggie Miller was one of the 15 best players from that decade. Like, do you, do you think that he did get... Uh, shafted in some of the MVP voting and everything else because of where he played and maybe maybe the guy he was or whatever. I don't know why, but it shocks me that he doesn't have more accomplishments on his resume. I mean, I'm I am clearly the wrong guy to ask because no, I don't think he's under <laughs> I do I do however think What do you think he was going to say to that? <laughs> yeah, what what why would you ever even ask me that question? But I do think I do think though that like if you were to take re- I think he's a guy that's just like ahead of his time. Like I think if you were to take Reggie Miller and put him in today's league, uh, he'd be significantly higher than than he is, just because he. I think he had a a skill that just wasn't valued yet, or wasn't valued to the degree that maybe it would be now, right? I actually think the reserve, the reverse. <laughs> I think he would just be another guy because he only had the one the one skill, and that one skill set him apart in the era where that skill wasn't in, like wasn't as uh, widespread as it is now. Like big men are taking threes now. You put him in this era, he's just just another guy. He's JJ Redick. Is are you trying to tell me that he's JJ Redick? In this era, he would be a regular guy, but back then he was an all-star. Back then he was, you know, able to ke- be a face of a team, whereas I, I don't think that he would have had that that same impact as as big as an impact. Is what I'm saying. Who do you think he I, is I, actually comparable? Really good point. Who do you think he's comparable to today's NBA in terms of the way that we're going to look back on them um, once their career is over with? Because the way that you were talking about him, Micah, it, it kind of got me thinking of Kyrie in terms of once his career is done, I think people are going to write history so much 
rosier for him just because of the big shot in the finals, the championship and everything like that. And obviously they're two very different players, but uh, that that's the one name that jumped out to me when I was listening to you. Not stylistically, obviously, He's, just in terms right. of like general perception. In terms of like legacy, yeah. The way that we look back on their time in the NBA, their career, everything like that. I can see that. I don't think that Could that's... Could be fair. Uh, right? Because, I mean, a, a lot of Kyrie's... Uh, a lot of, like, the the mythology of Kyrie is, like, the big game player, the clutch shooting, the the big-time moments that stick out, right? Not necessarily... I mean, he, Kyrie's not nearly the... You know, we just talked about Reggie Miller's longevity, which, like, I'm not even going to... I'm not going to pretend to besmirch that. Like, Kyrie doesn't have that. But in terms of, the, like, overall standing and their perception, like... Reggie Miller, I bet, is a guy that players perceive to be a lot higher in his time than, I mean, we just talked about the media never voted him top 15. If the players were voting MVP, there's no way that Reggie doesn't have a bunch of top 10s and stuff in there, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm shocked that he didn't crack the top 15. Like, I, I was sure he had a few top 10s. Um, I'm really shocked. I think, I think one, uh, the player that he's been compared to before that is the easy stylistic comparison to today is Clay Thompson. You know, I'm sure there's a lot of people that say he's nowhere near. He'd be nowhere near as good, um, or able to erupt like Clay does. But I, I mean, they're very, very similar. I mean, Clay doesn't really do much, but but shoot and play some D. So I think that's spot on. But I, I see your point about Kyrie. If talking about their legacy going forward, uh, the the only other thing I wanted to say about Reggie, and we'll start talking about win shares a little bit, which is uh, an estimate of the number of wins contributed by a player. Which you know, a lot of people you can say what you want about the stats. Not it's not perfect, but he was number six overall in the '90s. Reggie Miller, just behind Barkley and just ahead of Hakeem and Pippen. So that's one thing going in his favor. When and you gotta take the longevity and consistency into account there. One other quick thing on Kyrie. Do you guys know that he uh, has never received a single MVP vote? He's not yeah. placed ever. <laughs> that, that's what I was thinking. That's kind of what what sparked the idea. Um, I'm not surprised to hear that. Yeah, that's fair. Also, it, the team that he was playing on had the you know one of the best players of all time. Yeah. So that that's also fair. And and he, as you said, he just hasn't been available. I mean, he just doesn't play a full 82 slate. So that that goes into it too. Uh, so I'm, I'm not mad at the Kyrie uh, the Kyrie comparison uh, for for longevity wise in a vacuum. I can't I can't think of anybody else off the top of my head that you would compare Reggie to. But I, I honestly think. When uh, when I thought of the '90s, Reggie is one of the guys that comes to mind. But when I looked him up, I was like, "This guy, this guy's one of the you know the best 15 players from the '90s." I think as as time goes on, if he wasn't a commentator, we would absolutely forget about him. Like the the the, the Scott generation and on wouldn't give Reggie the credit he deserves because you pull up his basketball reference page and you'd be like, "This is one of the 15 best players of the '90s." That's it's insane. So. Uh, the lack of a ring and, and some of the, you know, he just didn't appear in a ton of all-star games, no no all-NBAs and all that stuff. That I think that, uh, that kind of hurts him. Thanks for listening. That was part one of our best players of the 90s episode. Next time here on NBA Sound System, we'll pick up with number 12. That and more coming soon. Thanks for joining us.